Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Alfie Brown. He's a comedian and a podcaster. Adulting is hard. I'd hoped to discover that Alfie, a dad of three, would have worked out how to do it properly. But alas, no. It seems we are both condemned to flail around in the liminal purgatory of just about getting by for at least another few years. Today, I expect to learn why being a comedian doesn't mean that you can perform effectively as a compare for a seven-year-old's birthday party, what it's like entering the world of fitness at 34, why my obsession with candles was cut short, at what point after becoming a father your DIY skills improve, and much more. I think with these conversations, 50% of me wants the answers. I want to know how to, how to do it, how to grow up and finally be able to put up shelves in the house. And then the other 50% of me is hoping not to find out because that justifies my own uselessness by someone else who I see as being further along the path than I am. Uh, their incompetence justifies my incompetence. Uh, so yeah, it's kind. this is kind of like a, a gateway d- drug to placating your own sense of insufficiency as an adult today. Enjoy. Something else that you should enjoy is the Modern Wisdom Reading List, 100 books that you should read before you die. The most important, impactful, and entertaining that I've ever found. I always get asked for book recommendations, so I just did a big a big PDF that's got them all in with links and descriptions for why I like them. You can get your copy right now for free by going to chriswillex.com slash books. That's chriswillex.com slash books. Go there immediately. In other news... This episode is brought to you by The Six Minute Diary. I've been using The Six Minute Diary for four years, four and a bit years. If you are not practicing formal gratitude, but you've wanted to get into it, this is the easiest and best way to do it. It is a simple and science-based gratitude journal for a happier and more fulfilled life with over one and a half million users. It's recommended by psychologists and therapists all over the world using the proven principles of positive psychology to live your life more consciously and positively. In life, if you want to feel good, you need to be in charge of your thought patterns. And this is exactly what the Mindfulness Journal trains you to do. In doable portions of three minutes in the morning and three minutes in the evening, you get to discover what really makes you happy. And you can bring more of that into your life. You get self-care and mindfulness made easy. They've turned leading research into an easy-to-use daily journal using proven practices of positive psychology to improve your mental health and wellness. On top of that, you can get 15% off everything site-wide by going to bit.ly slash diarywisdom. That's bit.ly slash diarywisdom and use the code MW15 at checkout for 15% off. I think it makes the diary... 19 pounds or 18 pounds and it lasts for six months so there's not really any reason not to do it and i've filled 10 of them in already bit.ly slash diary wisdom and mw15 for 15 percent off oh yeah it's not available for shipping to the us yet i am pushing them to do that but uk people you can get it in other other news this episode is brought to you by athletic greens and their brand new ag1 product one scoop of AG1 contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, pre and probiotic, green superfood blend, and more that all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. They increase energy and focus and digestion, and it supports a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products or pills. It's even NSF certified for sports in the US, meaning that Olympians can take it. They have updated this 
recipe 53 times over the last 10 years. They invest in the most absorbable, natural source of each ingredient, and they go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure that their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best nutritional daily habit on the planet. It's lifestyle-friendly whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. Also, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee, so you can buy it, try it, and if you do not like it after 59 days, you can get your money back. I wondered why Tim Ferriss and Rogan and Lex Friedman and Andrew Huberman and Dr. David Sinclair were all interested and they were repping the product, and it makes sense why. It is the best green drink that I've ever found. So if you want to have more fruit and veg in your life, but you're struggling to get it through your diet, this is an awesome place to go. Head to athleticgreens.com slash Modern Wisdom to get a year's free supply of vitamin D, five free travel packs, free pots, a free shaker, and that 60-day money-back guarantee. That's athleticgreens.com slash modernwisdom. But now, please give it up for Alfie Brown. Alfie Brown, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Last night was Halloween. How did you, how did you spend your Halloween? Um, I always uh, spend my Halloween with the lights off, uh, with my knees tucked uh, in between my arms, pretending that I'm not in, uh, so that I don't have to. I'm like, and that is that's the way I've been for about the last decade. So to now have kids that want to to have to be more involved, the the tiny involvement that I used to have as a as a man with no children has now been just so greatly uh, exaggerated and has 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 galloped forth into this most unpleasant of areas. Um, so I just don't have the same patience faculty for other people's children as I do for mine. Quite understandably, from an evolutionary perspective, why would I care about them? But that means, like, to tolerate them is such a is, is such a drain on your resources as a human being. Uh, so, uh, my I was lucky; I looked after my baby whilst my uh, girlfriend took my uh, two elder children out trick or treating. But the day before my it was my son's birthday party. He had a uh, seventh birthday party. And uh, and it was a Halloween themed thing, so we all played games, and so I got them all to do their scariest laughs, and I had to kind of like compare the thing. There's no scarier gig than that. Comparing a child's birthday party, man, oh man, it was a nightmare. Uh, that was the true Halloween experience. I love how you're you've been sort of labelled as he's a performer. You're used to being on stage, aren't you? I mean, comedian, child's performance, six and two, three. You must have all of... You've got the mics, haven't you? You've got the skills. You can do this. <laughs> People just presume it's, that you're used to being on stage so you can do kids stuff. I said this the other day on... Uh, but I, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to uh, say it again. Um, I have performed at Cardiff uh, Jonglers, which is in an Oceana with fish tanks that sort of um, blockade the hen parties in uh, so that they can't leave. I think I was on at about 11 o'clock at night because the gig had been delayed, so all they'd had to do was drink. And that audience still 
had more of a kind of semblance of care about my ego than these seven-year-olds. And as soon as you display any sort of like, I'm a cool, fun guy who likes kids, the children will just start hitting you. Where, where, can you tell me about that? Can anybody, can a psychologist please report to me on how or why children, as soon as they are, just hit you now? Is it? <laughs> uh, three of them. Because they like, because I did silly, scary, funny laughs. I'll hit him now. That was them is showing it? affection. Yeah, is it like pulling on my pigtails? Is that what it's like? Like saying, oh, I like you, so I'll hit you because I don't know how to express myself because my brain's not fully developed. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> I've absolutely no idea, but um, I think I did quite a good job. The weird thing is because of the kind of comedy that I do, lots of people have always um, uh, like crappy compares have always taken me off stage by going, um, there's Alfie Brown. He is available for children's parties. Well, yeah, I, I am actually. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'm he's pretty experienced. good at it. Pretty good at it, actually. Managed not to say anything awful. Did a kind of lighthearted joke. The parents liked it. You know, it was, a, it was actually a really lovely day. And it, the crucial thing was it only lasted three hours. Very, very, very nice. My, uh, my business partner has, he's got three little ones. He's got a three, four-month-old, two-year-old and a four-year-old and two dogs and a wife. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that they managed to coordinate an outfit. They were all werewolves, including the dogs, <laughs> yesterday. So they went out trick-or-treating. And yeah, my, yeah. my business partner's got one of those... It's like you wear the baby as a backpack, but it's on your front, whatever that's called. A papoose. Is that what it's called? A papoose. Very nice. It's, so, it, it's, it's, it's called a papoose. And then they all say ergonomic on them nowadays because that's a word that we now like. Because unergonomic papooses kill people or whatever it is. That <laughs> what, yeah, just garotzi. What's it built break for? Break your kid's ribs. I don't know. Ergonomic means it like works with your body. Well, well yeah, it should have always been ergonomic. One of these words that you've used to, like, skin-friendly soap. Yeah, I was hoping that it was going to be skin-friendly. <laughs> I was going to use it on my skin. What are you... Uh, anyway. Um, yes, that sounds good. I didn't quite... I wanted to be the Joker. Uh, oh, you've, like got a, the, you've kind of got the hair. If you, could, if you could dye it, you could kind of pull a little bit of the, the hairstyle off. Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, depending on which era Joker, I think I, the one I'd most like to be is Jack Nicholson. And nowadays, I think he's the most kid-friendly. I don't think you can go as incel Joker to a seven-year-old's birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> can you? Black uh, pill. Black, the theme of this kid's party is the black pill. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you didn't do the Joker? Uh, no, 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 no. There just wasn't the time and between, you know, working and trying to sell uh, myself, um, essentially, in the various different mediums that it's incumbent upon one to sell oneself. Uh, there just wasn't time to go into the Soho and pick up a big purple suit or whatever it was I would have liked to have done. And I didn't want to half-arse it. So. What did you rely- What did you go as then? I was. I went uh, dad's to a child, a dad to a children's birthday party. That sounds That's a lot like non-committal. Uh, I well, I I didn't actually go as anything. I just went as myself. Okay. Uh, I didn't. I didn't dress up. The ad, none of the adults dressed up. Ah, uh, so had you have gone as the Joker, mom, you would have been the only one. Yeah, but I was as the kind of host of the event. I thought that would have been appropriate. You know, 
because it gives you the illusion of authority. Uh, yeah, and like, I'm the one, you know what I'm for if I'm the one that's dressed up, mm. don't you? You know that I'm the one that's about to be, like you can't, it almost looks weirder that I'm joining in all the children's games not dressed up. I just look like a kind of creepy, over-enthusiastic adult. Whereas if I was in like a kit, then everybody would go, okay, good, that's what his role tonight is. Yeah, he's the authority I, here. He's aesthetically provided us with context for the way he's behaving. Whereas <laughs> just seeing me in a cotton Oxford shirt, Who's this creep getting hit by my kid? Loser. Stop talking to Ruben. <laughs> my business partner's my business partner's kid's called Ruben. So he's I'm I'm pretty adamant that Darren has crawled out of the working class on the shoulders of his children's names. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ruben. Yes. Cooper and Zara with a H. Wow. Wow. Beautiful names, beautiful kids, fucking absolute dream family. But I do have to remind him every so often that he's from Adel in Leeds. And no matter how fancy the names are that you give your children, you're always going to be from that. Yeah, but he's a business owner as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, like, he's, he, he is, he's crawled, he has a... We both I, 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 I don't think I should say the word crawled, but um, you can say crawled, I suppose. Uh, I, I, but it doesn't sound well when a posh bloke says it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, that's just what I'm always reminding my friend um, uh, Vaz about, is that kind of class changes. He's much more middle class than I am, just because he came from Hounslow and I came from you know, a leafy suburb of West London. Uh, and now he, you know, likes um, cooking with samphire and drinking red wine and a star of anise. And I don't know, he's, he's, a, he's actually a brilliant, brilliant cook. Uh, and, um, uh, but class is, what's the, what's the word? It, it's, you, can, you can move, it shifts about. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. what my, that's what my mum did. She was, she was, uh, you know, a working class girl and then became middle class. And then she had a middle class child. And now I'm earning a very working class work. <laughs> I did all of this work. Do you know how hard I worked to fucking get us out of this? Class mobile. That's what I was You've trying to think of. Chosen, chosen the mobile. only career that could have sent you back a generation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Entertainment. Fuck. <laughs> Fucking as fuck. a as a as a as a completely unmarketable uh, human man. Why do you think it, why why unmarketable? What's wrong with what's what's the challenge with the marketing? Um, I don't think I have a strong enough identity. I think people uh, you need to be good at. Have you ever written a treatment for a TV program? I know what they are. Uh, when you write a treatment for a TV program, uh, you have something underneath the title called a logline, which is essentially. You know, the program is, uh, it's called, the show's called Red, and uh, it's a sitcom. Uh, it's like uh, Only Fools and Horses meets a caravanning holiday. And that's what it is. It's like Only Fools and Horses meets a caravan. And that's, oh, okay, I know exactly what it is. I almost don't need to read the rest of this because everything I'm about to read has been so informed by the logline. And I think as a comedian now, you need to have a good logline. And I don't have a good logline. Uh, I mean, at least it, it, I don't... 
it's fairly nondescript. I suppose having children helps and uh, the style of comedy that I do sort of helps. Most of my shows have uh, thematically um, similar structures and uh, not structures, but uh, they're thematically similar, I should say. Um, and I maybe it's one of those things like uh, you and I were speaking about when it's you, you're a very bad judge of what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I even think that the way that I, I was thinking about this and I don't think it like looks particularly good or maybe likable, or maybe it's again, me overthinking it, that when we think about how we dress, I think about how we're aesthetically presenting ourselves, especially as somebody who's on stage performing and delivering uh, a set of ideas to an audience and performing them with some sort of attitude that befits, well, I've made decisions about, I've made a decision to have a beard, albeit that might be because... I just thought it might be a good way to uh, put my chin into the singular. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But I've made a decision about everything. So why not? I I, I wear these shirts, these kind of nondescript cotton Oxford shirts from business suit kind of providers and think, why am I hiding uh, so much? Uh, So maybe thinking more in these terms about how we're... um, uh, presenting ourselves isn't something to be sniffed at. I think comedy purists have this idea whereby they think, well, I just want to do jokes and I'm a joke purist. But I think the whole element of performance, just because uh, cinema is a visual medium, doesn't mean that we don't think uh, about the music or about the font of the titles or uh, you know, And it's all cohesive. Whatever. It's all cohesive, yeah. And I think I need to be thinking a little bit more... In, uh, cohesively about things like my logline and my aesthetic. If you look at the pictures for the last series of Live at the Apollo, they're all dressed like cartoon characters, like every, and it's great. They all look great. Everybody on it looks. Everybody on it looks great, uh, but uh, they all are dressed as, as, as in statement pieces. Yeah, it's like uh, archetypes, right? It's the mm. same as when you have a TV show and you know that the maiden has got big eyes and the villain wears black and the hero's sort of muscled like this and the nerd's got glasses. And it's a shortcut because it, it's an energy-saving device for our brains. I don't need to work out, oh, hang on a second, I, I had this vision of him, but then he's, he's added this bit on the side, like a lump of clay that doesn't look like it's supposed to be there. And what's that bit? Because that bit, I thought, I thought I had this sphere, this perfect round ball that was a box that I could put him in, but now there's this bit on the side of it. And um, yeah, that's, I, I think about this a lot, actually. Uh, I did a TEDx talk at the start of the year about something very similar about the fact that we live our lives in archetypes and we, we look to the examples that other people set and that <clears throat> that cohesion, that ease of uh, being able to work out what, what someone is, what someone's, mm. what someone's got going on, it lends, uh, it, it makes affinity more easy with people. Um, but the problem is if you don't fall into one of those archetypes naturally, you end up having to be performative in order to do that. So a lot of people, they are friends with others based on a performance, a role that they're playing of the person that they think their friends want them to be. So I see this with young guys a lot. I do a lot of nightlife and you see this. I was one of them. I was a, a professional party boy for a decade as a guy who now wants to talk about whether you can genetically engineer human life to reach other star systems or the philosophical basis for good. 
Like that's, <laughs> you know, so standing in the front door of a nightclub was never facilitating that, but I'd created this, this person that I could be because it was effective and, and, and people could, could get it. Oh, it's Chris. Yeah. 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 Big name on campus. Yeah. 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 Shagging in that. And that was the persona. Um, but the sacrifice that you make is that if you don't fall into one of those character characteristics, uh, one of those archetypes, that you end up having to kind of shave bits off you. Uh, how conscious is this persona? Like at the time of your saying, this persona that you had is, you know, party boy, great night out, good pint, good shagger, whatever. Uh, big shagger, not good shagger. I couldn't possibly comment. Um, but how when you're in, because that's 10 years, yeah. are you going home the next day going, God, I really better read more about Aristotle's eudaimonia. Or no, no, no. So that that was um, me just doing the thing that I thought would get me popular. So all I was trying to do was please other people. And yeah. my route to doing that was split testing a type of me. And then when one of them was successful, just continuing to go down it. But it wasn't, it, it wasn't thought out in advance. It wasn't done reflectively. And it took 10 years and then a, a season of Love Island for me to go, oh, f- fuck, what, how did I get here? This really doesn't feel, there's something wrong, and then you do a ton of self-work and inquiry, and you scrape off all of the mud and the, the, the feces that has accumulated on top of the person that you are, and then eventually you get to something that approximates truth, right? You end up going, right, all of this that I thought I was, all of these opinions I had, all of these ideas about the world, all of these yeah. ways of living, all of the things that I held up in esteem, and all of the things that I didn't. Okay, right, what have I... What have I got left? Well, fuck knows. I'll just keep going. Keep digging, keep digging, keep digging. And then eventually you hit something that seems a bit more firm. And you go, okay, maybe I can, maybe I can start speaking some truth forward from here. Wow. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. The difference And also, kind of, but it's also terrifying in a way because if you're uh, enveloped in something that is, um, I'm not sure if artifice is the right word, but a construction based on something uh exterior based on trying to find yourself based on uh, uh, things that are exterior rather than interior like outwardly reflecting and letting the outward realm affect who you are and who you present yourself as it's just um if you can i mean do you feel like that's like lost time or important time i imagine you're kind of quite stoic about the whole thing yeah it's just it's it was time, you know. Maybe that was the route. <laughs> Maybe the- it was time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't. That's like something Yoda would say. <laughs> yeah, there is no good or bad. There is just time. Um, yeah, I, there, there was no alternative. You know, I, I discovered the thing when I discovered the thing. I realized that there was a discordance between the person I was and the per- persona I was playing when I discovered it, and that that came about. Now the difference. And the difficulty that I can see with yourself is that comedic personas, they, they're important. And I've actually taken over the last couple of months, uh, my comedy coach deck has been working with me. And I, I just wanted to become a, learn how comedy works. I thought this would be fun. It's a skill, good skill to acquire. And the first thing that he started talking about was comedic personas, about the fact that you have an offering that kind of positions you in terms of power. It's that I know what this person is when they step on stage, right? Mm. You know, Peter Kay, you know, he comes out on stage, very strong comedic persona. You understand, you, you get him. Um, yeah. 
someone with a much more sort of subtle comedic persona would be like a James A. Caster, perhaps, because it's kind of like a bit like, okay, is it is he is he is he sort of being childish? Is he being kind of like funny? Is he awkward? Is he cool? And then he's pivoted with this most recent one, and he's like pretending yeah. to be a rock star type thing. Um, but I think that works in the context of his former shows, though. Like yes. we, we we now that we know who James A. Caster is, it's really interesting to see James A. Caster break who we thought he was. Yes, it's, uh, that was really 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 exciting. I mean, I think that he was very good at. Like, I think it's. It is more subtle than Peter Kay's persona, you know, I, I, I suppose. But I don't think that uh, I think that James Acaster was brilliant at building this uh, aesthetic. Brilliant at building, this, you know, in advance had three shows that began with R and had a similar style poster and did them all in a row in Edinburgh, and they were all kind of brilliant, similar but different enough, that, you know, similar enough that they were cohesive and different enough that they were. Um, they were brilliant as kind of standalone features, and uh, I, um, I yeah, it's it, it's certainly uh, it's certainly hard to puzzle out. And I think actually one of the things that comedians often undervalue, or perhaps that they don't speak about enough, is that um, self awareness. When people almost more important than wit, I think is self-awareness. If you, if I know more about you, and this is in small amounts, if I know more about you than you do, you're fucked, okay? That you're just immediately not funny. It's over, okay? It's totally over. I cannot know more about you uh, than you do. And that's why when, you know, these blokes do these jokes on stage and they go, the thing about women is, and you go, well, I immediately know too much about you, okay? And much more than you do. You have some you know, middling to quite severe psychosexual issues that you haven't worked through. And I can't laugh at you now because I have the power and you don't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, made myself laugh. And, um, uh, you know, I remember seeing all sorts of, that's, that's, that's why in his, in his tiny amount as you can't go on stage with your zip undone, or like your fly undone. And then everybody goes, well, lost it. Yeah. Okay. You've <clears throat> lost your power. Sorry. And, or up to, we can tell that there's something up uh, with you and because of the kind of jokes that you're doing. Why are you choosing to say that? Yes. Why are you choosing to tell us that? And even if uh, audiences aren't conscious of it, they'll sort of subconsciously interpret your weakness unless they are as weak as you, which is why, you know, more basic comedians tend to have more basic Basic crowds. Yeah, that, yeah. So there's a, a YouTube channel that I found yesterday called Comedy Without Errors. Have you seen this? No, bro. I'm interested. It is awesome. It is okay. so sick. So it's a a guy, British guy, who obviously really, really fucking understands comedy, and he's just done breakdowns of different comedic styles. So James Acaster's got a thirty or forty minute breakdown where he explains all of the different elements of how it worked in terms of storylines on there. Um, oh my god, he's got a. <laughs> He's got one about Dave Chappelle and about how Dave Chappelle uses callbacks. He's got one about uh, how to deal with hecklers. And it's it's part of a body of work. There's three different styles of doing comedy without errors. Fucking outstanding YouTube channel. I was fascinated. I thought it was really, really fucking cool. Big so, shout out to comedy without errors. Comedy without errors. Uh, I want to talk about um, being a dad and when you start to do like dad stuff. Because yeah. I'm not a dad yet that I know of. And 
the the gulf between me and my father mm. when he was my father he still is my father but you know what i mean when i was a child and things and needed doing age. doing like diy or going to the sh- just th- dad 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 shit right i just feel yeah. like there are certain archetypal dad qualities that i don't have do they what happens do you do a course is do they just arise uh well, i think uh, that there is an element of um uh, sinking uh, well swim, trying to swim and indeed sinking uh, or, 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 or puzzling it out. I don't think it's ever been easier because there are lots of YouTube t- tutorials on how to um, and how to resurface your deck, which is, I think, you know, pretty. I think that's like advanced dadding, isn't it? Uh, you, you know, when you get your uh, power washer and you power or wash off all the old varnish and you re-varnish your your deck. That's peak dad. Um. I was pretty bad at that, and I think we lost the deposit on that flat. Uh, so I did have to make many apologies to many different people, sadly. Uh, but <laughs> so stupid. I repainted it orange and like without asking the landlord. What an idiot. Uh, tried to put up lots of shelves, but there was loads of like bits of m- metal in the concrete so the drill wouldn't go in. So I couldn't put up the shelves. I felt like I... And this is lockdown, and lockdown was my first foray into... Um, into 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 trying to do the more DIY stuff. In terms of being a provider, I earn significantly less than my partner Jesse. So, I mean, I I do understand there is a uh, maybe an evolutionary impulse that you have to overcome to want to kind of come home with a zebra in your jaws and say, "Look what I got for everybody! Isn't it great that I made sure that everybody's still alive?" I and there's an extent to which I feel or feel decorative as a father. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the sperm donor that stayed around. Yeah, like this sperm donor's keen, isn't he? <laughs> Look at him, still knocking about after seven years. <coughs> Loser. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, 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 I mean, I'm really grateful for uh, my, but she, like the, when you're looking at her with a newborn and you see her breastfeeding and then like earning the money as well, you think, what shall I, what shall I do? Shall I just, am I, shall I, can I go to the pub then if you're going to do that? <laughs> if you've if got gonna, everything sorted. If you've got, if you've got a handle on everything, I'll just go out and see Vaz for a bit. He's cooking um, a, a goose or something. Uh, <laughs> there you go, Chappelle, there's a callback. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it made me feel incredibly uneasy. And I think perhaps I overcompensated with my desire to be a shelf uh, putting up father type person but um yeah you know uh there we are (laughs) there is there is definitely a sense especially i think in earlier when when kids are just born i mean again this is all voyeuristic second and third order told to me but that uh, for instance everybody who was in 
high, high echelons of the US Marines. And he's been to war multiple times, done tons and tons of tours, and said that he's never felt more helpless, alone, or scared than watching his wife give birth to their first child. Because there is nothing that he can do. It is entirely on that person. It's completely out of his hands. And he just has to sit there with his fucking hands in between his legs, just waiting. I, uh, I, I, on the birth of the third child, because of uh, COVID, I don't know if you've heard of that, um, there was nobody allowed in the hospital. Uh, so I had to kind of come in only when I was asked for it. Specific junctures, don't come in a second before we, ni- like, literally crowning and then call him up. Uh, so not quite that urgent, but I couldn't stay with her the night. And I usually, for the usually, we have so many kids. <laughs> Pumping them out all the time, yeah. Uh, um, so I would have slept for the previous two on um, on on the on the seat that they have beside the bed, uh, and uh, and it's so awkward. And for, uh, for I mean, for a dad, I think in any of those situations, going to scans, going to it, it's. And they don't talk to you either. And the same when you're looking around a school, really. It's just like you just get ignored, like, because maybe the head teacher doesn't know how to talk to you or like, oh, my God. I remember like sitting in the <laughs> I remember sitting in the uh, in the waiting room, not the delivery <coughs> room, but the, uh, the uh, waiting room before we go down to before it all kind of kicks off in the labor department. And. They have to come in and check her every now and again to see how dilated she is, which means that you have to sit in a chair and sort of like how like, you know, when you try on shoes and you forget how to walk like some pretty midwife comes and sticks her fingers inside your girlfriend and you kind of go, oh, well, I wonder, wonder what the ceiling's like. It's just amazing. The ceiling. I love the ceiling now. And th- it was so bizarre, like ha- watching her root around like her fingers inside my that I sort of That's tried my to make job. it. I tried to make it hot for myself. <laughs> and then, and the sweetest thing is as soon as she left, I went, that's so awkward. I just, the only, and I said to Jesse, the only way I could get through that was I just, I tried to make it hot for myself. And she went, yeah, me too. Wow. <laughs> Jesus fuck. I mean, I think that shows that you're a good pair. Yeah. Good match. Similar senses of uh, humor and depravity. Um, yeah. Yeah, but and then during the uh, so I went home that night and then got a call at six a.m. saying, "Oh, by the way, I've just started going into kind of like full labour." So anytime that usually means you've got about five or six hours before there's a baby. Uh, for any parents, will know how insane this is. Uh, I got there at quarter two. The baby was out within five minutes of my being there. She went from like one centimeter to fully dilated in. 45 minutes it it was insane and because it was he came out so quickly you're usually the baby usually has lots of fluid squeezed out on the way out because it's a bit of a squeeze famously and uh he didn't have enough of his fluid pumped out so he had a lungs full of uh amniotic fluid so had to go straight into the um icu for like seven days and had strep b or something so had to be on in tubes and we just had kind of visiting hours with the baby for uh uh for a week so in terms of that was a real and she was sleeping downstairs and i would kind of go home look after the kids order too much pizza um try and make the most of 
Yeah, I'm, I'm ordering the liberation because because yeah. you're not allowed to tell me not to. A bottle of red wine, absolutely, I have to. Um, and uh, would go in the next day. And uh, yeah, the powerless the powerlessness uh, extended itself over a week there. Uh, and there is a very real feeling of uh, wanting to do right, but there not being any uh, specific guidance or, um, or or guidebook. I, my brother is really, really into um, weightlifting. He finds uh, social interaction a, a bit more tricky. And, uh, and I was speaking to him once, and he was sort of explaining to me that the reason why he likes weightlifting so much is that it's, there's quantifiable progress. There is, with social interaction, oh, have I done well? If you could just score me 6.8 on the quality of the chat, that would be amazing, just so I know if I'm uh, making tangible improvements to my, uh, my ability to interact. Uh, whereas weightlifting, I, I bench-pressed X amount last week, I bench-pressed X amount this week. My body fat percentage or whatever your, whatever your goals are at home uh, you know, is X and now was what, and you know, it's, 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 it's easily, there's numbers there that you can look at and go progress. Uh, and I think, you know, with shelves, I can put shelves up and go, look, some shelves, shelves. but I can't get scored or like, <clears throat> was I good at being a, a, a partner during the delivery of a child? And then for the subsequent week, whilst it was in the, um, uh, the, the 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 intensive care unit. Um, I have no idea, uh, which is sort of frustrating. You just have to trust that you did do something that constitutes your best, and you were well-meaning. Like whenever anybody, I'm awful at talking to people when they've got a serious illness. If somebody's got a serious illness and I talk to them, I kind of go, "Hello," and, and all I can sort of think to say is. How are you? How are you? But you don't want to say how are you because I know that you've got like a disease and it's bad. So you can't go how are you because we both know. So what should we do here? Should we just go, I'm sorry that you've... And it often is that you should say something as simple as, I'm so sorry to hear about your you. illness. That's absolutely shit. Yes. But then you don't want to say illness to them because they might have been, that might have been the five minutes that day that they were just forgotten. They were thinking about. Oh, Alfie's oh, coming love. over. He's going to cheer me Alfie's up. Alfie's coming over. He's going to cheer me up. And then you go, disease. And then you go, oh, <laughs> fuck. Just managed to get that disease out of my head. Uh, so, yeah, life is a, a constant um, a, array, uh, an obstacle course of social pitfalls and uh, wrong things to do. And thank God we have uh, shelves to put up and weights to lift so that we can fucking get something done so that at the end of my life i can look back on a series of shelves and weights and think at least i I achieved something i I left this for the world yeah it's uh, why i like getting my earwax out my ears so much i've look i've produced something (laughs) that's a fucking low bar uh (laughs) so I, i i heard this story um from a psychologist i spoke to a couple of months ago and he said that during world war ii there were these patients who were completely catatonic in psychiatric wards in London, completely comatose, unresponsive, just roll them over, clean the bedpan, feed them however, the, however you feed them. Nurses would do this thing, unresponsive for years and years and years. Uh, bombs start falling during the Blitz, and there are fewer ambulance and fire truck drivers than there are ambulances and fire trucks to drive. So the, there's this shortage, and these men mostly men, most people in psychiatric wards were men, 
uh, these men got up, people that had been comatose for years and years and years, got up out of bed and started driving fire trucks and ambulances around London, helping out. And his point was that um, male mentality in terms of goal setting, also depression, but principally goal setting, is done based on trying to do things. If you give a man the ability to, a goal, the ability to achieve it, he'll crawl over broken glass with a smile, was his argument. Um, And you see this with these men, that they were motivated out of a completely comatose state to go and do a thing. And I think that that's the difference when you look at what women are motivated by. You know, a a woman, I would guess, on average, more so, would be happy just being emotional support. If, If women had children with other women or you know in lesbian relationships where you one of the girls is pregnant or whatever the one that's in the corner is perhaps more likely to just i was there for emotional support i felt whereas your compulsion to to do a thing yeah is actually quite restrictive yes i think during uh lockdown i a lot of the time i said when p- people would say you know, I, I wasn't too much of a drag that I said this to absolutely everybody. But, you know, when my mum would ask me how I was, I would often say, oh, well, not so good, actually, because I've had my I've had my purpose taken away. Uh, and feeling like y- your purpose is now. Well, it's gone. It, that, that does send you, you know, not to the psychiatric facility, uh, although, you know, given, you know, let's do a fourth lockdown and see where we are. Um, I incredibly, incredibly depressed and missed it all so much. And I think I missed, I spoke to my uh, hairdresser who I do go and see on a, a quarterly basis. And, um, and he said, first haircut I got after lockdown, I said, how did you find it? And he said, I just missed being good at something. And, uh, and I, Fuck, you know, that's all, such a good quote. Yeah, I almost started weeping. Uh, yeah, I missed being, being good, good at, at something. Yeah. And I mean, I started trying to do bits and pieces and I started doing Instagram lives in the hope that that might, uh, uh, you know, put a little uh, nicotine patch over the craving. But it didn't because you've developed a set, a very specific set of skills uh, that are suited to stand up. So uh, very hard to get that to translate, and also the endorphins and the and and the and the the experience of communicating with a group in a live sense and having something uh, as uh, the, the the messily emotional reality of other people who were present. Uh, it was gone. Because it would just be, you say something funny on Instagram Live, then a flutter of hearts come and up in the corner of the that's screen. That's all you've got. Well, I mean, go, well, that, that feels good, but it doesn't <clears throat> feel that good. The reason, you know. that, the reason that I went to go and see you in Edinburgh was because Sloss had told me that I should do. It's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm up this weekend. Who should I go and see? And he said, Alfie Brown's got a show on. Show on. Like, go, go see that. And, um, but he, he said the same. He was, he was having arguments with his girlfriend uh, now fiance that he has the most perfect relationship with uh, yeah. because he needed her to love him like 500 strangers a night <laughs> and yeah. he was he was she was still doing her thing and he was moping around the house smoking weed and playing xbox badly and yeah. poking her and being hey what are you doing hey yeah love me 
Yes, I think I, you know, I did a lot of... I can remember once my girlfriend was trying to watch um, that Sally Rooney thing that seemed to... It's like after every single episode, you go, how was that only 20 minutes long? It felt like it was going on forever. Anyway, um, I would, I was like, I remember bouncing on the trampoline and like, because we bought the kids a trampoline during lockdown and just like a little exercise trampoline that you use, that old people use to strengthen their bones. And um, <laughs> she was trying to watch normal people. I was bouncing on the trampoline, staring at her kind of. Like, why aren't you looking at me? Like, why? And like, and then I, and then I looked at myself and thought, I've gone, I've, I've gone mad. This is like not, this is not an appropriate way for an adult man to be. But I was so starved of everything uh, that I just couldn't, I could, I could barely function. And when I'd speak to comedians who say they didn't miss it, I, there is no stronger and more vociferous fuck you that I have for anybody else in the world. Don't do it then. Don't do it because you just, you know, your gigs are gigs that I could have. I'll have yours then because I'll do two. I'll do two. I'll do one for me and one for you and I'll do them both with a smile on my face. Because you've had to jump up and down on a trampoline to assuage your feelings of uselessness. Uh, Yeah, I've been singing. I've been, I learned the Moana rap to impress my children. Like I've, I've, (laughs) There is no depths to which I haven't stooped to try and feel kind of relevant e- again. Extract some screed of do I have your love? Am I entertaining you? Have I made your life better? Have I illuminated the, the torpor of our everyday experiences for you? And then it, between that, between this kind of mad uh, court jester type character to slumped in an armchair staring at a book I'm not reading. Didn't read one book during lockdown. Uh, I mean, an incredible sense of atrophy to the whole experience of everyday life. And then, and, and nothing. No, no, no ability to go and do the thing that you love to do. Yeah, Awful man. business. It's, it's, dude, this is the thing. So few people have spoken about lockdown after lockdown. I think... Everyone kind of was a bit bored of the same conversation over and over again. Oh, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you getting on all right? Yeah, yeah, I am. I am, you know, getting by. And people, we had that for so long that that conversation kind of just feels a bit like old hat. But the echoes, right, the reverberations of yeah. some of those situations and the realizations that you had, that this is the time, if you had a strategic learning experience like you did which was there is a part of me there is a void which gets filled by the art form that i have chosen to express myself in um that realization is really really fucking important and by not having the conversations about it you actually don't end up perhaps learning and then maybe even transcending some of the suffering that you went through during the time yeah and i think like the really, this is to be taken with a kind of pinch of salt because um, but my Jesse's brother, my partner Jesse's brother is a doctor, and I went, man, this must. Be. Do you remember meeting up socially distanced in a park last year? And I went, mate, how are you doing? This is just awful. Like, how how are you how are you coping? And he went, mate, this is like, this is much worse for you than it is for me, because I didn't become a doctor because I. I didn't want to have to like work to save people's lives. Obviously it's harrowing and awful. And I think, you know, what he was saying is to be taken with a pinch of salt because obviously it was nightmarish, but at the same time that he had his purpose. That's his call to arms. 
he had his he had his calling uh, met and it was very difficult and horrific and for much of the time but i thought it was so interesting when he said that such a bizarre thing for uh maybe not a bizarre thing maybe i mean we don't know we only know about people who were saying it's like one of those things how, oh, it must be so hard for doctors that you know let's all think about the doctors it's worse for them than it is for everybody else maybe the, all the doctors were thinking no, 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 no. This is why we. This is why we got into. Yeah, this. What the fuck's everyone clapping us for? Do you clap the assholes <laughs> that are sat at home wanking five times a day? They're the ones that need our support in this difficult time. God, if only I had the spirit in me to wank five times a day. So I was. Here's another one, man. I was having a conversation with a buddy about a year ago. We, I can't remember where we were. Some some bar somewhere, and we'd been talking about something, and then we were going away. We we're doing a little bit of work, and then in between bits of work, you chat. Out of the blue, he turned to me and said, man, how much, how much do you think you come? I thought, what do you mean? Like volume? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's say that there's a sort of percentile, right, from zero to 100. Where, where do you think you fall in terms of the volume of semen that you create upon climax? And I... I didn't really know what to say because the only times that unfortunately I've made it to the end of a porn video mm. to watch <laughs> the man complete, yeah, I don't think that that's a representative sample of men, of, of semen for men. And yeah. so I explained this to him and I was like I, I fucking like like a normal like probably a normal amount probably 50 probably 50th percentile and then mm -hmm. quick as a flash he went I'm 95th percentile <laughs> <laughs> I was like okay uh, tell me about that and he said frankly bit of a nuisance if I'm honest that was <laughs> that was his I I worked out when I was, I think, about 25 years old that uh, I'd been wanking at that point for about 13 and a half years and I probably hadn't missed a day. Of an average, I'd been going every day. I worked out what the average uh, come volume weighed. Vol yeah, uh, what it was for a man. Uh, so I started working for 13 and a half years ago. At that point, my kid brother was 13. So I started wanking around the time he was born, although I don't think they were related incidents. Um, and I, I, I've worked out that if I'd, uh, saved all my cum, like in its weight since the day I started wanking, I'd have about seven and a half stone of cum, <laughs> which is about the weight of a 13 year old boy. <laughs> so interestingly, like human beings grow at the same like amount that you shed every day in cum. And I could have, like, if I'd saved it, I could have made my own, like, cum brother. <laughs> like a, some disgusting X-rated snowman. Yeah, it's from the people who bought you the human centipede. <laughs> it's cum brother. York is cum brother. <laughs> wow. This, this 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 podcast has been quite high and low, hasn't it? Yeah, we've gone to the depths of of deep depression um, in lockdown, and also we've gone to <laughs> come brother. I want to know about your speaking of atrophy and weightlifting. I want to know about your fitness journey because you're starting a, a a foray into health and wellness, are you not? 
Well, I'm so incredibly, um, I'm so incredibly gullible and so incredibly, uh, like, I have a, a sort of fantasy idea of the of the man that I would be, and if you look at him in his com- com- like in his complete form, all of his facets are incompatible with each other. So there's a heavy drinking guy who's in great shape, and then you're immediately done uh, because I love. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good pint and I like, I haven't quite worked out this kind of balance yet whereby I managed to, and I saw that I was at a kind of uh, crossroads as it were in, in terms of being a, like a 34 year old father of three, just eating all their food all the time and, and, and being exhausted. So having to just fuel yourself on, scraps and you know like endless packets of oat cakes with the hummus in the fridge and then feeling like was that really a meal or am i (laughs) (laughs) doesn't i should still eat a meal i'll eat a meal as well um so i just don't think i had very good habits and then like you know loads of red wine and and great beer anyway i mean so a fitness journey i'm not sure like a fitness is quite a highfalutin word to you know, I I don't want my knees and my heart to give out by the time I'm 45. Journey is the kind of journey. I'm avoiding. I'm. I'm avoiding the diseases of kings from the Middle Ages. If I can yeah. evade gout by 50, I'm going to consider I this a success. Want, I don't want gout. Uh, although you know, gout is a kind of like an emblem of. <laughs> it's a fucking a really badge of honor. Time. Yeah, yeah. It's like how soldiers get a purple heart. You know, people, louches get gout. <laughs> right. So uh, you're, you're trying to just extend I, your I, mortality a little bit. I've started doing high-intensity interval training courses. I don't like spelling hit because it's got two eyes in it, so it sounds crap. Um, and, uh, and I do them with uh, energized and um, wonderful, gorgeous men and women shouting at me. Uh, and uh, in, a, in a gym I, or at home in a gym in a gym i go to a gym. yeah there's like a fitness class people around the corner and it's brilliant and actually that's the best thing i've ever done when i'm at the gym i spend the whole time you know on twitter getting angry and listening to a podcast and yawning at the bench press uh thing so and i and i don't do any cardio because it's too awful so uh, and I don't also it's, it's it's the same fitness to me is the same as having a podcast. I just want somebody who knows everything to be able to go. Here's how long the podcast should be. Here's uh, what you should do on YouTube. Here's what you should cut up onto reels. Here's how often you should do it. Here's the best day to put it out. Here's uh, if you should do Instagram TV as well. Here's how to market it on Twitter. There's all your information. Go away, do that. And if it's good, then it'll work. And if it's not, then it won't. And it also, if it's not good, it still might work because, you know, and if it's good, it's still, I mean, who knows? But, you know, at least you know that you're doing the right thing. And the fitness thing as well is like, oh, shall I eat? Shall I eat slow carbs? Shall I focus on my gut health? Shall I eat butter coffee? And like, a, I mean, it was just disgusting. And I'm, you know, predominantly vegan anyway. So it would have to be sunflower butter coffee, which I'm not even sure really works because I'm not sure if the science abides by sunflower butter coffee. Um, or should I just cut fat out? Or should I just count calories? Or should I do intermittent fasting? And all of these things. Can I just have 
somebody say to me what's effective, please, and then I'll just do it and 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 have done with it, and it'll be so much easier to uh, uh to 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 keep off this uh this layer of dad fat that I've accumulated over the last three or four years. Um, and, and and if I'm keeping it off that, yeah, that's easier, isn't it? It's easier to keep it off than it is to Correct. get rid of it. Correct, yeah. yeah. Well, man, I think you've reached, if I was to give a bunch of different advice to someone that was doing what you were doing, <clears throat> the first thing I would say is join a class because you outsource your accountability and your motivation and your intensity to a group of people you get a bit and of your a, money and your and your money, but fuck man. When you that's that's one of the things that I really don't get. I understand if you have legitimate financial restrictions that do not permit you to be able to pay between seventy and one hundred and eighty pounds per per month to get someone to shout at you and tell you what exercises to do in a in a class setting. I understand, yeah. but if you have the money and you're choosing to spend it elsewhere and complaining about your fitness goals, that's a you problem. Like that's you not doing the thing that you should do in order to get the goals that you're saying that you want. You're complaining about not getting the results that you Mm. didn't get from the work that you didn't put in. That's what your problem is. So classes, number one, like it's so good, man. Even I've been training for 15, 16 years and I still rely on classes when my motivation's a little bit low. So I'll just go and do them for a few months, build a little bit of motivation back up and then coast on some some programming if I want to do a little bit of stuff myself. That's awesome. And then on programming. Yeah. So, um, the, what you pay for or the, uh, compromise that you make with a class is that if there is a particular modality of training that you want to do, let's say that you really want to work on getting your resting heart rate down or improving your cardiovascular fitness, or you want to spend some time doing hypertrophy because you want to gain weight or whatever it is, um, you are at the mercy of whatever the class is doing. And you can find different classes. One class may be a bit more lightweight and more cardio, one may be a bit more heavy, one may be a bit more complex. But you are never doing precisely the program that perhaps you would want to do. Let's say you want to work on your chest and the the, the classes only do chest once a week, or not at all. Um, so that's the sacrifice that you make. But I find that if you use the classes for motivation and then you can kind of coast... Uh, yes. back into some some custom stuff if you want to do that or not um and then with regards to the diet and the other things like that that is a fucking minefield i have a bunch of buddies who they they've made their careers out of telling people that almost every different diet that people are trying to sell you is fucking horseshit um, yeah and calories counting calories is is literally all that matters and there is there is an entire industry a counterculture industry of people that is they've made their careers out of saying it's just fucking calories, bro. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I, I like all that. I'm fond of it. Um, but I, I mean, it's not, surely it's not because then if you have, I mean, it, it obviously to, because then you have to kind of th- get things like, you know, enough protein so that you're servicing and like you could, you could, it might just be calories, but you might be, what you're eating and the quality of food that you're eating will have a huge effect on your mood. If you do loads of great exercise with some gorgeous um, man shouting at you uh, and you eat, you know, uh, I don't know, honey. Haribo. Only yes. honey. Um, then you'll feel shitty. Like in a, oh, yeah. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah. Really so what, in, so in terms of weight loss, um, it is literally just calories. Now, you can improve your weight loss and your mood and your gut health and everything else on top of that and your performance 
by getting your macros right. So you've got maybe a bit more protein than you think that you might do. And you avoid processed carbs and you avoid too much saturated fat and blah, blah, blah. But I think what most people do is they repurpose diets like keto, which is a restriction diet, or intermittent fasting, which is a restriction diet, or Atkins, which is a restriction diet, or vegan or fucking pescatarian or whatever it is. Most of di- most diets come down to restricting some different food groups that you're not supposed to eat. Yeah. And then people go, well, look, I lost weight on this diet. And you go, well, yes, obviously, because you cut out two-thirds of all foods. And then someone else did the complete opposite diet, cut out two-thirds of all foods, but two-thirds of different foods that included the foods that the other person ate. So I understand why it's, why it's complicated. I think also a lot of the um, fitness uh, kind of cu- the culture around it and the way in which people talk about it and try and puzzle it out is difficult for me to – first of all, there's a kind of whole – vernacular to penetrate and like you know you're set a bunch yeah. of things of programming modes and stuff i and i kind of can't and there's also and this is really stupid and i and it's um it's something that i'm prone to do quite a lot whereby i'm cynical about something because i am jealous of it or suspicious or have preconceived ideas about the archetypes involved i think as it was like fitness idiots being fitness idiots and talking all their jargon. Um, and uh, and I'm prone to think that at the same time as wanting all the, like, but I look at them and go, but it'd be great to look like you, obviously, but um, but shut up. Uh, <laughs> so that, that's where I am with it. And then I look at my heroes and think, what, what, who? Nobody that I loved was, you know, going on about their, uh, speaking openly about their fitness goals. Christopher Hitchens never once mentioned his fitness goal, but then <laughs> Hitch, he is dead Hitch did and die had, like way too soon yes. because by his own admission, he burnt the candle at both ends and it shone a bright light. So I think I'm not going to stop uh, drinking. I mean, my job takes place mainly in the pub, um, but I, I do want to find a way to balance uh, the life that I would like to lead um, with uh, with 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 being healthy and feeling energetic and you know not having such ruched eye bags the whole time. I honestly think if you do four good classes a week and you're under the age of probably forty five, that you you can pretty much get away with whatever you want Un- okay. unless I'll, you have I'll... unless you have a metabolism that's a bit suboptimal or you have a, a propensity to gain weight quite easily like if you're training consistently and hard and you're doing progressive overload i i, I struggle to see if, if there's people that go to the classes that i know of that literally do not care about their diet but if you're training five days a week and you're doing it quite hard, they're in fucking great shape because their body's just desperately trying to accumulate whatever it is, that, Merle, that lovely Merlot from last night and the remainder of the <laughs> cupcakes from little Johnny's birthday party for Halloween. <laughs> and it just thinks, well, he's fucking pushing us really, really hard here. We need yeah. to I, I, we find, right, get the cupcake. Get the, can we, have we got any more Merlot left? We'll use that. I do... I do always find the mood is quite a good gauge of, uh, you know, what's going on. I thought, cause I, I mean, I was doing these classes and thinking my mood is absolutely in the toilet. Um, I'm, and, and, but I was eating really well or, you know, well, healthily. And then I need to be 
my body used would eat this would be me eating well for a sedentary lifestyle so now that i've got you know gorgeous bloke screaming at me for 60 minutes you know a few times a week i need to recalibrate Fuel what properly, eating yes. well means because that is absolutely not sustainable i tried uh, here's another thing that i tried that i was thinking about because you talked about getting into soup i think when i saw you live but you did something <laughs> to do with soup and did, it made yeah. me it made me think about a, a brief period where i tried to get into candles so i thought i wanted a thing <laughs> you know you you feel like you need a thing yeah. you, you want a th- it's this is going to be well, so what are you into Oh, is this during lockdown? Yes, it yes. feels like a lockdown obsession. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So beeswax, soy wax, all different incense varieties, ones that burn in and and they combine and the, the wax is kind of together. But then when you burn them, it it, it congeals and then you get multiple different. Uh, and I really got into candles, and I just it got me thinking about people that want a thing, yeah, quite badly. And I wanted a thing, and I tried to make it candles, and all that I achieved was I coated um the ceiling of this room in so much soot that came off the candles <laughs> that i actually needed to get it paid to be repainted <laughs> <laughs> oh good god that's really funny so how and how long did it last for you this session probably about four months i think um but probably between four and six months because i tried i'd kind of done it once before and not really committed thought that yeah. that might be my thing and now the nails in the coffin that it's not it's not my thing christ uh what how old are you 33 and how many things do you think you've taken on post the age of 25 do you think that have been i mean this is one yeah yeah so most of them have been commercial projects because i'm a ruthless Sacrilegious capitalist. capitalist, yeah, precisely, yeah, yeah who Good. who is trying to fill the void with money, uh, but Fair. not many, not as many as I, not as many as a lot of my friends. A lot of my friends yeah. have tried to, to tried to do to try to do the thing. How about you? Have you been have you been getting a thing? Or are the kids kids are kind of a thing? Uh, kids are kind of a thing. Um, I suppose. Uh... Uh, no, I've I've fantasized about uh, a thing. I've, I've, I've motorbike. Learning... No, 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 no. I remember as a child, my uh, father uh, said we were at a theme park, and he went, "Do you want to go on the big ride?" And I went, "No, it's horrible. Why would I want to do that?" And he went, "Good, good. That's a." And he said, "Good. Do you know what that means? That means you've got a good instinct. You want to stay alive." Uh, <laughs> And that means that you'll be, you know, you'll, you've got your head in the right yeah. place. Life might not be why, very exciting, why? but it shouldn't be dead. Yeah, why Why would you want to, oh, peril. Like, why would you <laughs> want to feel that? It makes no sense. So, so I, uh, yeah, the, the same reason I don't want to ride a motorbike. I don't want to ride a bicycle. I just, I don't at all want, to, why put myself in that position? You're, you know, people get scared about terrorists on the tube. You, well, you know, you're much more likely to get knocked off your bike than you are, uh, than you are blown up on the tube. Been years since that happened. Uh, I'd like to learn a language. I'd really like to learn a language, and I, I'm, I think I'm reaching the. 
it's reaching crunch time. And I'd like to, and what I'd really like to do, and this podcast and doing all this, <laughs> I've started my own podcast, listener. Link in show podcast. notes below. Link in show notes below. Thank you. Um, thank you. Uh, I, and, and learning all about this and going back to what we were saying about fitness and indeed podcasting, I want to know everything about it. So I've watched hours and hours of charismatic 20-year-olds from Sacramento telling me about algorithms and i think why you don't know anything and but what i do feel like is that youtube is incredibly incredibly exciting the whole idea of being a youtuber is it's sort of a pejorative term youtuber it's like well youtube's just the you don't call ingmar bergman a cinemara it's just where it's on isn't it is any it's literally anything you can put a, you can do a feature film and stick it on YouTube. Does that make you a YouTuber? No, it just means that you're putting. So you can do anything. All these programs that they're putting on to Dave and Comedy Central, none of which I'm in. Well, they're not making them because they're really expensive to make. Precisely the opposite. They're making them because they're cheap. And given they're cheap, I'm staring into a Sony camera that's good enough to. So I can just go. I could go to Brussels and show you all what it was like. For me in Brussels, and if you like Brussels, and if you like me, then you'll like watching that. And it doesn't have to be me being a YouTuber. There, it can be me engaging in an, 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 a funny and intellectual way with the experience of travel with somebody or not with somebody. And I could film a bit of the gig that I do there, and it, it, it's it's or I could film my own feet and draw faces on them, and I could do whatever I want. And I don't need to go to a development producer to have a conversation about whether or not my feet would work on it. No, I get to make that choice. And I'd people speak about, you were speaking about the algorithm to me before. Like I'd, I'd, I'd much rather compromise with an algorithm than I would a development producer. At least the algorithm will be honest with me. Like, or be, be straight with me. I, yeah. Well, and I don't actually have to talk to it. It's the other key thing. There are some brilliant development producers, I will add, but there are some, you know? Man, I think that the I think that the venture into YouTube for pretty much every comedian that I know is a fucking great idea. So many, <clears throat> like what most YouTubers are trying to repurpose is what comedians have learned on stage or yeah. classic theater actors or imp- especially people that do improv and stuff like that, like Jesus. Uh, and then you look at someone, Logan Paul's a good example of this. So love him or hate him, that guy is a fucking media genius. So you put him in front of a camera and his ability to control the cadence and the timbre and the tone and the way that he speaks and what he says is fucking, it's media training. It's post-media training, media training. And he's so fucking effective. And he learned it by just doing daily vlogs for a bunch of years. And yeah, he fucked up and and made some mistakes or whatever. But the guy is shit hot, absolutely shit hot at what he does. And you think... Every comedian that I know that does podcasting or YouTube is a killer. All of them. There isn't anybody that you port across onto this medium that's done it for an appreciable amount of time uh, yeah. standing on stage that isn't fucking well, well, well more competent because they understand about pacing and they understand about joke structure and they're comfortable with silence. All of the things that takes a normal person that does this forever with no feedback, mm. with feedback from a, a silent lens, 
that looks well, like the, the harrowing thing about it is that you speaking into this and going, hello, this is my podcast. And then suddenly it's your, uh, your, your, then, then it's out there and you go, oh, was that funny? Am I bad? Shall I, you know, sh- shall I go away for a long time? Like, what's, <laughs> what's, what, what am I? And what was that? And was it good? And oh God, what did I say? And, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, the immediacy of the feedback and the beauty of stand up is that it has to die in the room. It's beautiful because it dies like a flower. Ephemeral. Uh, exactly. Uh, and, that's what's scarier about stuff like this. But, I mean, there is an extent to which, well, if the, if the thing that's going to get made that I'm going to be on on TV would just be me travelling about and meeting people anyway, well, I can do that. Shortcut it. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a, Speaking about Logan Paul, I think that's so interesting. And I will look at uh, his videos now, despite the fact that um, there have been, you know, moments of bad man about him. Uh, love him or hate him, as you as, as as you say. I actually have no idea what it is he's supposed to have done, so I'm not sure how. Um, what you're supposed to love or hate about him? Yeah, how extravagantly I should be going? No, boo, yeah. awful, or like <laughs> yeah. you know, to be uh, to be woke adjacent. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a really good YouTube video by a guy that I love called Nerd Writer. Have you heard of him? No. Uh, brilliant video essays and does a brilliant one on how Donald Trump answers a question. And there's exactly the same, there's like the simplicity of the language, the fact that he structures every single one of his sentences in an answer to have the key word, tremendous bad people, tremendous bad people. We get, we get the key word of what he wants to get across. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be horrible. Tremendous bad people, bad people. And it's every single line you could take out of context and know exactly what he's saying they did they he examines the the reading level of all uh uh presidential nominees over the past few years and like so mick huckabee and bernie sanders are way up there at a level reading level um and then you've got like clinton down a bit and other clinton down a bit and you've got uh george bush down a bit and then you've got way down at like kindergarten sort of just above like early years reading level is that's how donald trump speaks and that's why everybody gets it, and that's why everybody understands, and that's why everybody immediately, well, I know what that guy thinks. There's no, there's no two ways about it. And it's not about how many people hate him. Like The interesting thing, when Hillary Clinton was campaigning, I thought uh, they had this slogan, love Trump's hate. Well, it, it did, because the people who voted for Donald Trump loved Donald Trump, and the people who didn't vote for Donald Trump didn't love Hillary Clinton. They hated Donald Trump. And love did Trump hate in that election, but just not in the way that Hillary Clinton thought it would or wanted it to. So that was the smartest tagline ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. But she just I didn't realise. Yeah, well, I mean, it was, yeah, smartest tagline for him. Yes. <laughs> like it, it, it was, oh God, that was such a sad night. But uh, yeah, it's a really interesting video essay that I'd recommend That's to sick. you. And uh, all this is nerd writer. He's got a bunch of good stuff. There was a article that I saw that looked at how much Democrats and Republicans love their own party versus hate the other party. Yeah. And for almost all of time, it was that you, you voted for the party that you wanted to be in as opposed to not voting for the party that you don't want to be in. Uh, and mm-hmm. 2012, that changed. So now it, it, it's, it's literally like a, a, a protest vote. It is, everyone everyone is, protest, is protest, protest voting, 
against yeah. the side that they dislike. And this is this is a, a whole other fucking rabbit hole, but the fact that out-group hatred is stronger than in-group bonding is a really fucking interesting mechanism that you see at the moment. The fact that most people bind together over mutual distaste of another as opposed to mutual love of someone or something within that circle. I think that's that's so interesting. Yeah, it's uh it's I think I, I don't know where it's come from. I think it's I think it's very uh we haven't learned how to deal with new media yet. Uh new digital media, social media, etc. And um there's really interesting um if you look at the invention of the pay, uh, the printing press was exactly when you had like in late 19th century, so 18 70 something well i can't remember the exact dates but right directly after the invention of the printing press you had the this huge rise in populism uh and the 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 corn laws being brought in and everybody's saying well now the papers exist everybody can just be taught what to think and it's the death of democracy uh and it's something that we're to an extent experiencing again we learned sort of arguably how to deal with papers or how to ingest them or uh perhaps uh perhaps the way that papers went it, you know social media took on it's it carried the extremities carried on kind of further in each direction uh it, 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 obviously papers got wind of the fact that sensationalist news stories sold copies selling copies earns money earns earning money means that we're all you know we can all buy new cameras and whatnot and that's you know that's 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 where we all are. We're all you know. I I made my the title of my episode something I thought was juicy because that made Click it more bait. clickable. Yes, we're, we're all thinking like this. Um, so, uh, given that we haven't learned how to use this media yet, I think with a little bit of time, maybe that stops, or we learn that there's some sort of cognitive revolution whereby we switch away. Uh, from anger and that the algorithm stops serving anger and utilizing it as the uh, touch paper for all virality and explosive news that there is and we we get to a new place there has to be something to push us past this which i kind of remain optimistic there there will be but i don't know what it is and on the left and on the right i think people have confused uh, and this is without, you know, this is not a shameless plug, but the reason why my show is called Sensitive Man is that I think sensitivity is something that we have completely sort of expelled from all discourse. And people confuse or people or perhaps, uh, you know, on the on the on the left, the, the, the Corbyn left would say that they are sensitive. They are. But I I think that true sensitivity is the only thing that can defeat righteousness. And righteousness is what you have at either end, and sensitivity is completely anathema to 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 that. Um, so a, a, a call for sensitivity. I'm reading a book, yeah, yeah. a proof of Johan Hari's new book. Johan Hari wrote Lost Connections and Chasing the Scream. So he's done a book. See the guy that did that. Um, he said the controversial stuff about mental health. Yeah, well, his book's about mental health. I don't know how controversial it ended up being. He said that it was a combination of, of of environmental and biological, but he put less weight on the biological. It's just imbalances of chemicals in the brain, bro. Um, 
So it may, well, I mean, he, he wrote a book on, on mental health. I don't know how much. Yeah, no, I think The uh, the Guardian did a, uh, The Guardian and everybody I follow on Twitter did a takedown of it. Um, Sounds so like what again, they would do, yeah. Again, everything that's controversial is controversial depending on uh, our own uh, algorithmically interpreted version of reality. Yeah. Um, anyway, he got a shellacking from lots of people oh, that wow. I saw. I didn't know and, that. And uh, I, I, well, everything, every criticism that everybody had of him I kind of had to under my breath go, oh, yes, but I do agree with him about <laughs> all of it. <laughs> yeah, I think um, that was an... what I've been saying about mental health for such a long time. And I even did a, uh, sp- I did a keynote speech at Keele University about, um, about, about this, about, you know, the, 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 uh, not overdiagnosis, but diagnostics being in... Uh, the diagnostic element of mental health taking away from the human aspect of it, it dehumanizes it slightly and we're getting away from the kind of emotional human experience of, and I think that causes a sense of detachment from what's going on that isn't necessarily helpful. People like the labels because it gives them, it brings some order to the chaos of their phenomenological experience. Yes, and it gives us something helpful to put on our log line as well. Correct, yeah, exactly. It's like autistic only fools and horses depressed in a caravan site yeah <laughs> well remembered um so yeah he's got a new book out uh, called stolen focus and yes. it's about uh why we're more distracted why our attention is is being robbed of us and stuff and i'm only one chapter in for the people that want to listen to this it won't be out until january the book isn't out till january and he's not coming on till january but it's a big book and bloomsbury sent me a super super early proof um and it's really interesting right. really fucking interesting and the first chapter talks about the fact that we have more information coming in than we can actually filter that we have a surplus of information and what it causes us to do is we need to utilize filtering in a way that we never would have had to before so humans are information foragers that where squirrels look for nuts in trees we look for information because information kept us alive the problem is, for almost all of history, we had a scarcity of information. We would get a story. We'd hear the same fucking story from the elders of the tribe mm. 150 times, and that's how you get stories and myths that are passed down, right? It's passed down and passed down and passed down. You've heard it so many times. Whereas now you have an abundance of information, almost all of which is noise and almost none of which is signal, most of which is manipulated or contrived or whatever. Um so our filtering mechanism just is not tuned up to be able to do this. Uh, and it's all done along the uh, narrative of Johan going to some island uh, in, near America and taking, getting rid of all of his technology while he writes the chunk, the big, a big chunk of this book. Uh, so he's wow, down, cool. he downregulates all of his information as he's trying to write about it. And then he sort of puts his personal journey of downregulation and, and, and recentering his uh, his thoughts and his uh, stimulus, how much stimulus he's got, um, and it's really fucking interesting, man. So that's that's coming up. That soon. sounds brilliant, and I think a lot of the problem that I have with nonfiction is the uh, is the fact that it, it, it I, I I just kind of can't take it all. I mean, ironically, um, uh, given what the book's about, I can't take all the information. So you're reading this book. Uh, and think I can't. I just don't. And I have suspicions with some nonfiction books. Like I don't think the God Delusion needed to be that long. That you just wanted to sell a big book. 
just didn't need as a vanity thing. Okay, Richard didn't need to be that long. Give it to me in 200 pages. Okay, can't do it in 200 pages. Don't do it. Um, but uh, I have a suspicion with. I mean, that's a narrative, a nominal narrative journey, I think, is what was missing from a lot of that sort of thing. Uh, Gives it a human element, right? This is this, this yeah. definitely, because I mean, that behind me is all of that. And all of that is just books, books and books and yeah. books from publishers, from people who've got books coming out. And they are awesome. Uh, most of them are awesome. But there are some, the, the books with which I resonate the most are the ones that have personal elements and stories woven throughout this is why james clear's atomic habits was so good because it wasn't just this rote memorization game of how to do habits it was illustrated with examples from team gb cycling or from the chinese weightlifting team or from a speed reader or from someone that knows 17 languages or something that it was illustrated with personal examples and james sort of brought some of himself in there and he talked about his own journey but uh, yeah, one of the other things you said about the, the diagnostic criteria and the, the labeling, I spoke to Robert Plowman, who's a behavioral geneticist. So he looks at the heritability of everything that we are, right? Everything psychologically, whether that be your dyslexia or your propensity to fart or how tall you are or how much you come. Um, he looks at the heritability of all of these different things. And one of his problems that he has is with labels, because what you're talking about is a spectrum. A, a mm. particular common collection of traits that tend to come together that elicit an outcome that we have given a label to. That's dyslexia. Yeah. But there isn't a point at which you're not dyslexic and now are. You just have varying degrees of the traits of being someone who struggles with these sorts of things or fucking is good at maths or whatever it might be. And he thinks that we're going to actually start to dispense with labels we've had kind of a surgence of labels and that's increasing at the moment but he thinks that's going to taper off and people are just going to go back to i'm good at i'm bad at i'm my kid struggles to sit still in class as opposed to my child has a, a adhd and there's another one now like bo boisterous boisterous boy syndrome or some shit like that which is like it's just it, that's just a young that's a 13 year old yes. boy in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual 5, uh, there is a mental illness. Uh, one is caffeine addiction, uh, uh, which is, well, you, were, you were drinking a non-caffeinated. Correct. Uh, I haven't uh, had caffeine not, this year. Have you not? No, that, I'm hard as fuck. That's why. Because I like well, to suffer I'm, unnecessarily. I'm interested in that. But um, uh, another one is uh, adolescent rebellion disorder. That is... That's just all teenagers. Uh, I mean, I hope it's not mine in, you know, however many years' time, but it was certainly uh, me. I mean, it's just, well, of course, that's not, why do we need to, why does that need to be part of our diagnostic and statistics? Uh, it doesn't really feel like it does. Uh, and, and it removes the humanity from the thing that these people Labeling. are experiencing. Oh, you're just, you're just you a this. Say, like, your brain is kind of full of hormones. Of course, like, of course you've gone a bit mad. Your body's shifting into this huge, like huge new uh, form. Like it, it's, it's crazy what's happening to you. So we'll all be patient and understanding and you go mad and then we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll be nice to each other about it. I don't, yeah, I've, I've never really understood the, uh, uh, 
uh, are, are the, the necessity of these labels, but I suppose it is because, um, yeah, we, we, we maybe we find comfort in them or people like outsourcing a kind of thing that they perhaps were ashamed of. But now we've taken away the shame of, like the stigma against mental health is, you know, going, going, going. But when does that change into the stigma against sadness? I'm really sad at the moment. But sad is such an underused word because it it feels like, oh, I've had depression. Well, well, that's bad. Have a day off work. I'm really sad at the moment. Okay, well. Grow up. Chop, chop. Yeah. Fucking come on. Uh, so, yeah, it's a really interesting thing to uh, go into. Uh, but, again, it's one of those things that because everybody's either been diagnosed or know somebody who has, it's very... Um, people are, are incredibly protective over uh, the way that it's come to be. Um, but, uh, you know, I have an open mind in either direction. Why have you stopped drinking coffee? I just wanted to see if I could do it this year. So I did a thousand days without alcohol um, okay. as a club promoter just because I wanted more time and more money and more productivity and consistency and stuff. And that ended up being really good really good yeah. thing for me to do. Did you stop? Did you end at a thousand days? A thousand days. A thousand like- days, yeah. So I did, I've done six months and a year previously and then decided to do, I was going to do two years and the two years would have taken me into the middle of lockdown and I thought breaking it during lockdown feels a bit pointless so I'll just keep going and then set a new target and the target was a thousand days. Uh, so that was good and then I... Just decided at the start of but the year. But you started drinking again. I'm now back drinking alcohol, uh, albeit at the most lightweight levels. You have, I am, I'm back to, I've regressed back to a 15 year old's tolerance of alcohol. It's terrifying. Really? I stopped drinking for two years. And when I came back to it, I knocked off eight pints of Guinness. Shit, the bed. Absolutely nothing. Really? Yeah, Fucking, it, was, it was wow, so bizarre. Oh, dude, one one beer gives me a buzz. Now, one sol, a three thirty mil sol, <laughs> gives me a buzz. Like I'm sneaking it out of my dad's cupboard when he doesn't know <laughs> during lunch break from college. But between AS sociology and AS business studies, I'll come back home and sneak a sol because that's what the re- rebellious kids do so and then caffeine just thought i, I don't like i quite like the idea of not being controlled by a substance um big fan of yeah. of personal sovereignty and just thinking right okay well let's see what happens nothing has happened apart from the fact that my sleep's improved nothing nothing i didn't get headaches i didn't have withdrawal symptoms how much coffee were we drinking because i gave up coffee for about a month and my my back pain was unbelievable back pain when i gave up Oh, the, the when I gave up coffee, I could hardly sit down because my back pain was so bad. Do, do you have you researched why what's related between coffee and your back? Oh yeah, it's your kidneys. It's your kidneys going. What the fuck is going on? Where's all our stuff? <laughs> Who's taken all of our stuff? So they're kind of throbbing and expanding and contracting and going <laughs> mental because you've like you've just yeah yeah there you go on treat yourself to that will you lads you know Fuck we'll have man. lots of lovely diuretic and lots of lovely pissing and you know wakey wakey everybody and uh so i think if you are going to quit caffeine the way to do it is with green tea pills and then just come taper down gradually don't go from you know three london coffee shop barista coffees a day to nil so i would have okay. usually had a coffee upon waking 
another potentially mid-morning, and then a caffeinated version of this, Noco, which is f 150 milligrams of caffeine. So that's probably about, two, that's closer to two cups, I think, or one very large cup. So that was a fairly... Decent amount. Yeah, fairly, fairly good consumption. But I just, nothing changed. It felt like I'd been gaslit by coffee into believing that I needed <laughs> to have it in my life. Uh, and between that and decaf, I've just ticked over quite nicely. Okay. Yeah, well, the, the, I, love the, I love the ritual of it uh, and adore the taste of it. Do you grind, grind your own? No, I think if I had, uh, I think that's a no kids thing. <laughs> because if you've got I think 15 minutes in the day to make a coffee something's gone wrong with the children because one of them's missing or something i could do it but i like leaving the house uh and i like um i like going to my uh coffee shop and sitting down and reading the news and making notes on whatever what do you what do you order what's your order uh, an oat flat white or oat latte that's me that's me oat flat white's a uh, good it's a solid coffee. Or a black filter. I like filter coffee as well. Uh, and if I'm going to a, if, if I think it's a, if it's, if it's going to be crap coffee, I'd rather have black coffee. Yeah, black filters. That's exactly the same. So we do a series on here called Life Hacks. And one of the Life Hacks a couple of months ago was if you're uncertain about the quality of the coffee, just go black filter and put a little bit of sweetener in it if you don't like it too bitter. And you, it'll almost always be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, whereas a bad oat latte is, is just undrinkable. Unfeasibly bad. Unfeasibly bad. Alfie Brown, uh, ladies and gentlemen, where should people go if they want to harass your podcast? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's on YouTube. It's also on all of the other places where we find podcasts. Uh, don't know where you listen to yours. Um, but yeah, uh, check out the YouTube if you're on the YouTubes uh, and subscribe because I've got more stuff. I've got a a cricket uh, web series coming out on there soon, which if you like that sport and me, then you're going to love it. Um, yeah. Uh, but I'm Alfie Brown Comedian on, on YouTube and on Instagram and whatnot. Thanks for having me, mate. My pleasure, man. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you want to join the conversation with me and everyone else that listens to the show, come on over to the Modern Wisdom Locals community, modernwisdom.locals.com. Over 1,500 members, and they're all very interesting, although I am one of the most interesting people there, top five at least. Don't forget, you can get a 15% discount on the 6-Minute Diary by going to bit.ly slash diarywisdom and using the code MW15 at checkout. And you can get a year's free supply of vitamin D, five free travel packs, free pots, shakers, and more by going to athleticgreens.com slash modernwisdom. I'll see you next time.